Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Here we go. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Salute. Salute. Father Jeez, Michael, Father nice. John, here we are in Schloss Goebbels, and uh, this, might be, uh, this might be the last time for a bit. I know. It's crazy to think about yeah, that. So. With you and I, certainly. Although I did, uh, I already scheduled a couple with Mikey, a couple of catch with Goebel. So excellent! Good, I should should be getting all my all my my last minute podcasts in before I leave. Perfect. Then we're going to see you into the fall. So nice. We are uh, here. We are kind of mid August, and I was thinking actually as we were talking, um, you're closing a chapter of life, and I'm beginning yeah. a chapter of life. So it's kind of here we are again. Yeah. Four years later, in a moment of total yeah. kind of transition as you're coming in and coming out and i'm i'm kind of moving in seminarians arrive in the next few days they are arriving mm-hmm. and uh we're starting to kind of build and gear up i have a meeting tonight with all the formators over a bunch of documents that i have not read <laughs> so i'm like sweet that's uh the beginning yeah but uh yeah you are uh last time we podcast together all obedience and then we were together on um conference last week of course uh, but how are you feeling it with everything here? You're kind of. Uh, it's been. I was doing. I was doing better. The past couple of days have been kind of rough. My yeah. topic's going to be raw, and yeah. I'll I'll do it after the after years here. Yeah, but yeah. Um, uh, I think it's it's a um, it's just a realization that I uh, how much I've leaned on people and how much I've been helped like throughout so much of my ministry. I mean, Gold will finally admit it to me. One of the reasons why he named me Princess Peach. <laughs> Like he gave us all the Mario Kart names yes. and he gave me Prince's speech because I'm always so happy. Like even if I was in a horrible situation, but he finally admitted to one of my parishioners who, who understands this, that uh, the other reason was just because I am so like cared for, like <laughs> my past three vehicles have been gifts. You know, I, people buy me shoes from Paris. Like I, people do really take really good care of me. And I, I'm realizing as I'm on my way out into a world where that's not going to happen, right. especially right in the beginning, I'm just like, wow, I, how do I thank everybody and how do I acknowledge it? And how do I, you know, plan for a world where that's not the case? So it's, it's been a lot of that, like realizing how much my mistakes, I'll go into this later on, but how much my mistakes have been covered by other people yeah, and how much our Lord is, has worked through them to, to let the kingdom move forward, even though I've gotten in the way. And it's, it's really, that sounds so depressing, but it's actually really beautiful. So, yeah. So all, all of that's kind of prequel, coming around. Prequel for next exactly. week. Exactly. We'll circle back yeah. to that. So it's, it's well, generally. Yes. Yeah, that's that. good. Um, for those of you who don't know, Goebel has assigned all of the companion <laughs> priests uh, characters from Mario Kart, and it's actually amazing. It is. <laughs> and we'll just <laughs> name the four podcast priests, but Princess Peach. Yep. Mike Rapp, of course, is Yoshi. Yep. Uh, I'm apparently Mario, yeah. and that would make Goebel <laughs> Wario, Wario <laughs> which is literally perfect. If you would have seen us in the kitchen just five minutes ago. So. That's hilarious. Um, we had a great conference last summer, all uh, or last week. Uh, our summer conference every year we do it in the beginning of August. Uh, 19 guys together, yeah. so 11 priests, 8 seminarians, and uh, it was just the Denver guys. Sometimes we do it with other dioceses, with our boys in Minnesota, guys in Joliet, all over, People, random people coming over. Um, but this year it was just us, and it was really good. It was really good a yeah. uh, few days. Conferences were amazing. I'm just joking. <laughs> That's gave, the one part I missed. I, I came late. Conferences, yeah, I gave uh, four conferences yeah. on my doctorate, and the guys were um, surprisingly and maybe charitably engaged uh, nice. and interested. But we had some great topics, some great conversations, went on some bike rides, yeah. um, did an escape room. Yeah. And what I realized uh, during the escape room was I was like, I feel very comfortable in this setting. Okay. Because podcasting with Goebel 
is yeah. like being in an escape room. <laughs> and I failed last week I as, he, get as he fell asleep. It's like I'm trying to unlock his emotional life. <laughs> and it's like codes and words and trying to get him engaged. And I have one hour and the clock's ticking. And uh, as he was falling asleep last week, uh, as you were, you and I were talking, I was like, this is just like losing in an escape yeah. room and you're stuck again so it's like calling leah darrow if we need to engage him somehow exactly that'll wake him up <laughs> she's done it she yeah. knows how to wake him up yeah my favorite parks i wasn't i wasn't there for a lot of it because of the feast of my parish and some other things i needed to do but um we had you know kind of what seminarians dream of they dream of like hey if you're hanging out with a bunch of priests and seminarians you you at night you have good whiskey pull out a pipe or a cigar and talk about like the major issues of the world and how right. the church is engaging those. And we had that one night with Trevor that was like, it was me and Trevor just chatting. We were having this great conversation, Trevor Lontaine. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you and Goble and uh, LeJoie came back and we just, I mean, I really felt like we were, we were delving to the depths of, of how does the church engage these real world issues? And I thought all of us were kind of on point and just, it, it was really life giving to me. And that's, that's an overused term, but it was, it was just really, it made me so happy to be a priest and have brothers like, and able to have that discussion just that happened completely naturally. That was probably my favorite part of the whole. Yeah, it absolutely was. And a lot of those conversations, um, a lot of times the most spontaneous ones that happen like that sitting outside in the evenings or on a bike ride or something. Um, there's so much that's happening. It's just like, you can just, there's ideas are just constantly fermenting and guys, and there's graces that are coming and they're thinking about these things. And, uh, I find the young guys to be really inspiring too, because yeah. they're coming at it with a freshness yep. and a different perspective than all the old dogs uh, are. And uh, so, yeah, it was just a great overall. It was just a great, great week. Mike had to go back uh, on that Wednesday, and that's why we missed him for the uh, mm. when we podcast. We yeah. didn't mention that last week, but uh, it was just the three of us. But he was there for the the full week, and we took promises. We reelected Father Brady Wagner, yep. probably against his will, uh, <laughs> as moderator for another three years. He's he's in charge again, um, and uh, yeah. So so now we're now we're rolling into the semester, yeah. And you are uh, heading out of town, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, so it'll be a new start for me too. I'm I'm not quite there yet. I'm taking Goebel's advice. He actually gave advice to in a fraternal group to another guy of saying, "Look, sit." Like, learn about where you're going, new assignment, learn about where you're going, spend like a month or two meeting the people, and then take a retreat yeah. and process with Jesus everything that you've engaged, everything, all the stimuli you've taken in from the parish, then go and process it in a retreat and then come back and say, here's what I've heard from you guys, here's what I've heard from Jesus, and now let's move forward with the, yeah. with the mission of the parish. So I'm looking forward to that because actually our eparchy at Barkill retreat with all the priests together, the Byzantine ones is in October. Okay. So it's going to be great. Like a week, pretty much a month and a half with my people, new people, and then a week on retreat yeah to process it all that's so, excellent yeah yeah i had a similar moment like you had with uh trevor out on the porch there i was just in the car i was actually just driving and i wasn't even talking but uh one adrian one of our seminarians was mm-hmm. talking with global and it was like it was like the praxis of pastoral mm-hmm. life yep and i was just amazed mm-hmm. and uh, all of our pastors now we've got guys who've been doing this for a number of years and i'm just like well, there's a lot of acquired um Acquired knowledge, acquired version. And I was asking them some questions as well, but I was like, it's just, it's amazing, not just how guys are thinking globally about some really important stuff, but also just the, the acquired and the collection of wisdom and experience that, mm-hmm. that kind of pulls together when guys are yeah. actually trying to live life in community. Yeah. You know? well, what's the word you use for a guy going it alone? Like a pastor or a priest going alone, like trying to do everything himself. Parochial solipsism. Yeah, that one. That one. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the that's the danger, and it is tempting. And we talked a lot about that this week. Um, just about it's just it's pulling guys apart constantly. Yeah. 
And uh, the worst thing we can do is say, no, it's not. Everything's fine. Yeah. We're great. And it's like, no, we need each other. And yeah. we're having a harder and harder time accessing each other. And uh, companions isn't the op. It's not the answer, but it's an answer. And we got to keep keep trying new, new stuff. So, yeah, absolutely. With all that being said, I'm preparing two courses right now for uh, – for the semester. One is called Fundamental Theology and one is called Mariology, right? Okay. Mariology just being Mary. And so uh, Fundamental Theology is uh, it's the first semester of your first year of theology. So it's the first course. And you're reflecting. It's like theology and self-reflection. Hmm. So if you think of theology as you're doing something, you're, you're reflecting on an object of revelation or something, like something that God has revealed, like Mary, for example. What is she as in, in the order of grace and these things? But what what does it look like when you reflect on theology in itself? And those are the questions that are being kind of undermined a lot in our day. And so I'm I'm really excited about this course, and I hope the guys like it. It's four credits, 8 a.m., Monday through Thursday, starting (laughs) in a week. So it's like, get ready. Um, Get ready, ready, as Goebel would say. Um, But one of the guys that I'm looking to and I'm going to really lean on this semester is our good friend, John Henry Cardinal Newman, mm. who's going to be canonized in October, and I hope to be there because it's right after my thesis defense. Nice. So have you read much Newman? Do you know this um, guy? Not, not a lot, no. Uh, fascinating character. I'm going to talk about him. Uh, I might do a couple podcasts on him this, uh, this fall because I, I really love him. He's become a dear friend. Um, but this book that I'm holding in my hand, an essay on the development of Christian doctrine, was one that he wrote in the 1850s. Right around, he converted to Catholicism in 1845. I think I actually read most of that in college at Steubenville. Ah, did you? I'm okay. remembering it, yeah. yeah. And so uh, Newman, um, and uh, I'm trying to look here for the date of the original one. I know he republished it in the 1870s. Um, but Newman uh, grew up Anglican uh, right around the year 1800. I was born kind of uh, evangelical upbringing, so kind of Methodism and kind of that. And then he became very high Anglican during part of the, he was part of the Oxford movement and there was all these tracks and he was a young uh, aspiring Don and uh, professor and then had this beautiful conversion where he basically lost everything. All of his career, all of his, everything was just kind of taken from him and the rest of his life was really spent suffering, mm. like within the heart of the church. And mm. he was made a cardinal right at the end of his life. He dies in 1890, 1890, I think. So, but this, there's a couple of major works that for me, I'm like, I really want to get this into the hands of my guys, um, my students, and uh, and talk about it because I think it's important. And this one in particular today, the topic is called Newman's Notes. Um, But what I want to talk about is what Newman calls the seven notes of authentic development of doctrine. Hmm. And he lays that out in the book, and we're just going to kind of touch on these very cool. briefly because we have to do short podcasts yeah. today because we got to keep moving. Uh, life is uh, pretty tight <laughs> right now. So um, so the, whole, the, the beginning point is to say um, the, the doctrine, teaching of the church, exists and that it develops. Hmm. So that's the first thing. Okay. Just, a lot of people would disagree with that outright. A lot of Christians would say, yeah. we don't need doctrine. And it doesn't develop, right? I saw someone post that on social media the other day. Like, doctrine is old school. We don't need any more. Right, exactly. Back to the human. It's like, no. So Newman makes this very interesting argument uh, throughout about the importance of doctrine, uh, why it's indispensable and essential to the structure of faith. Mm -hmm. So there's this great line um, he has in it, and this is just a nice image uh, that he uses. We'll start with this. He says, It is indeed sometimes said that the stream is clearest near the spring. The stream is Mm -hmm. clearest near the spring. 
Whatever use may be uh, may fairly be made of this image, it does not apply to the history of a philosophy or belief, mm-hmm. which is on the contrary, is more equitable and pure and stronger when its bed has become deep and broad and full. Mm-hmm. It necessarily rises out of an existing state of things and for a time savors of the soil. Its vital elements need disengaging from what is foreign and temporary and is employed in efforts after freedom, which become more vigorous and hopeful as its years increase. Hmm. So he's got this this great image of the stream, and he's saying, uh, we often think that uh, that streams are most pure and most clear at their source, but he's saying actually it's not the case when it comes to, as he says, the history of ideas are dark, but the further that they go, the more that these, the kind of the things that are being carried within the stream settle, and it's actually purified and perfected as mm-hmm. it moves on. And so he uses that as a way of saying that as history unfolds, we come to a deeper understanding of the truths of Revelation. Yeah. They're not new truths, but they deepen, and yeah. we understand them in a way. The uh, Father Joel Barstat, when he, before he went to Pittsburgh, I asked him, you know, I said, this is before I knew I was being moved, I said, you know, hey, can you be completely honest with me? Like you've known me as a brother priest and as a, as a parishioner, as a deacon. Um, you know me for a while in this way. Please be completely honest with me with the, the biggest issues you see in my ministry. Like I call me out. And he, he took like a month processing it, which was so, I was so honored that he would take that time. And then the number one thing he said that, that is, is that I'm missing in my ministry is he says, you confuse youth with innocence. Hmm. He said, you know, you, you tend to think that, that the simple and, and children are the most innocent. He goes, innocence must be tested for it to become true. And in other words, so children have a natural innocence. And of course, everybody loves that. We all love children, right? We love the natural innocence. But there, there's something about if you can maintain that purity and innocence, the purity of heart throughout the testing phases of adolescence and, and adulthood, that's when true innocence exists. And and he, he kind of tied it to my homeless ministry and things like that, where I kind of take those who are simple and, and living lives of non-responsibility, like most homeless are, you know, the, he says like, you love them and you care for them and you, you, you help them. But, but he said, you need to be more aware of the, the innocence of people that, that that innocence has been tried and tested and has come out victorious. And so there's something about at the very beginning of the stream of our life, we are, we're naturally innocent, but those who, been able to maintain that purity, that innocence, that beautiful naivete, and it's not not being muddied by the world, but it's been deepened and broadened, like Newman says. There's something like, do we honor those people enough? Yeah. Do do we see it in, in the depth of a, li- a life well lived over the course of time, tested by time, tested by by the world, and and they've come out on the other side with with the, with the purity that's of God, with a maturity and a depth that that. Um, has been tested. There's great lines in Lord of the Rings about the the, the kings, and they they look they just look worn out. They look mm-hmm. exhausted. They look joyful but exhausted. As if at the very end of the the trilogy, um, and it's like these men have been tested and they've been exhausted because of being tested, but they still have that that sparkle in their eye of the joy that shows that 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 the test has has they've passed it. They they they've passed it very well, um, but it's been rough. You know they they've been worn out from it. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, it's a very insightful comment from classic Barstead, yeah, right? exactly. It's like zings you. It's like, well, when I got to think about that one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what I like about what you're saying is that the um, we have to think of development of doctrine and the development of ideas um, in, in this religious context much more like the development of relationships and friendships, mm-hmm. that they deepen over the years, they mature, and they're 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 more profound, but... They t- travel the course of life, so to speak. Yeah. 
Um, I kept using the word destiny in my homily on Sunday. I was like, I've been reading way too much Giussani. That doesn't make any sense. Like nobody talks like that. But one of the things I love is just Giussani always talks about the the intense need um, to stay grounded in tradition and in history, mm. right? Um, and Newman has a great line in this book. He says, to be deep in history is to cease to be Protestant. Hmm. You've probably heard that line. Yeah. When you start studying history, yep. it's over. Half my parish will say that exact right. thing because half, right. half of them are converts. Yeah. Right, right. And so um, when we talk about, uh, oftentimes people reject the idea of development because, or of doctrine because they don't see it in its historical context, mm. but also within its personal context, which is to say that these things happen. Were it not for the man Arius, you know, and the man Athanasius, yeah. we wouldn't have the clarity and the distinction that we have of the persons of the Trinity when yeah. that happened in the fourth century, at yeah. the, you know, the first ecumenical council. So these things kind of develop and they move through history. The mind has an instinct towards faith and it naturally moves towards ascent. Newman talks about this a lot. He's got another great book called The Grammar of Ascent, which I think I'll we'll talk about at some other point. But he's like, we naturally... Um, kind of naturally assent to things uh, in when we're in relationship with other people. And that's how development and doctrine also happen as well. So things are kind of tested and sifted out, but we naturally are people who assent. We don't naturally hold skepticism uh, in the way that we approach the world and reality. We might in terms of religious convictions or these kind of things, yeah. but we don't when it, when it comes to just the day-to-day things of life. So in the beginning of the church, everything's there. Uh, but it, then it starts to unfold uh, and be unpacked by reason, by history, by God's providence, by the tradition, and the hand, as it's handed on, these things develop. Yeah. Now, the importance for Newman is to say, well, what does that actually look like? Because people will use Newman, and they'll say, uh, like we used to retreat at a wonderful and kind of wacky retreat center uh, that had a Newman, had a thing named Newman, but I think part of it, they were trying to appropriate Newman as kind of the... He's one of our guys because he is, uh, well, we're going to have women priests because oh, development, part of the development, because yeah, doctrine develops. And it's like, well, that's not exactly kind right. of what we're, we're talking about here, right? So um, thoughts on any of that? Questions on any of that? No, I, I think there's a, I just heard an unfortunate, I don't mean to call it any personally, but I'll just say a, a nun who was on NPR just yesterday talking about, and she just wrote a book and then wrote a letter to Pope Francis in the back of the book kind of um, decrying the the lack of, of roles for women in the church. And, and she she postulated, therefore, that that women being able to preach, women being able to be priests, women being able to have have more control over the, the, the decision-making, the basic decision-making of the church. And, of course, I agree with all of that on a basic level. I mean, I, you know, br- bringing lay people and women into everything I think is important, but, but the, the way she took it was just outside of the bounds of the church's ability to make these decisions and to adapt. And I, I think that there's, there's so much beauty to saying the church has certain boundaries that are, that are very strong and beautiful and we can love within those boundaries and there's a greater creativity. And I mean, I, I've said this to a parishioner of mine who, who said pretty much she was ragging on me for not, not promoting gay marriage in the parish. And I, I said to her, just to kind of catch her off guard, I said, I, I guarantee you I love gay people more than you do. And it totally caught her off guard. I was, uh-huh. like, I was like, I, I, I love them and I, I will build them up and I will die for them because I'm calling them on to truth and goodness and beauty in a way that, 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 that if you're just slackening those edges, you're, you're going to miss the point. And I, 
I think that there's there's something so we 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 Orthodox Catholics need to be so creative and 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 having boundaries breeds creativity in the way that we minister to people. Um, so that the development of doctrine is completely authentic rather than taking kind of some surface understanding that, oh, it'll continue to develop in the way that I want it to or the way that the world teaches me, et cetera. And it's just, I, I love the fact that within the boundaries of the church, we can be more creative and even, I believe, more loving than those who are trying to break down those boundaries um, and, and just go the way of the world rather than saying, this is of God and we got to find ways to love and within those boundaries of, of, of the truth. You know? Yeah, and I think that the... Uh Majority of the problems we're facing um, fall to that kind of thing, the, the corruption into liberalism, um, yeah. the kind of self-appropriation of the faith, and then the kind of the thinking it's just this kind of malleable thing that I can just kind of recreate, yeah. reducing everything to politics. But it takes a great bravery to say, let's actually work on the development of the doctrine without having to go there, right? without saying we're going to break the, break the rules of the church. But the other side of it is the other way that doctrine corrupts is by... Um, uh, an excessive conservatism mm. that clings to the language right. of the past and refuses to actually yep. allow it. And so Newman has this great line where he he's just saying he's strongly laying out um, the the necessity that if if doctrine is a living reality, then it's going to change. But what does that mean to change? And he right. says, in a higher world, it is otherwise. But here below, to live is to change, and to be perfect is to have changed often. Yeah, great line. Yeah, to live is to change. Yeah, so. Uh, a lot of the problems, you know, you think about like um, in the early church, uh, a lot of the great heresies were not these kind of radical, wild new ideas. They were actually kind of a, a, a conservatism, kind of mm. a clinging to things. Yep. Origen's refusal to kind of let go of the kind of the classically held platonic understanding of these things. Jansenism in the 17th century, it's just we refuse to kind of hold on to uh, what what is happening. And there's a bit of that. There's a bit of that uh, still around, and we have friends who you kind of you feel that. And I, uh, we, we're not in the middle, but we're trying to kind of find the way in the middle. And sometimes you feel, as a priest, you feel like you're not hardcore enough for the conservatives, and you're you're not loving yeah. enough for the yeah. You don't care about truth enough for the conservative side, and you don't you don't love people enough for the liberals. So everybody hates you. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 I think to be a Christian means to be immensely humble, and to be always on your heels or on your toes. I like always ready to move, but always caught a little bit off guard by our perception of who Jesus Christ is and our, our reaction to, to who he is and how he's engaging with us. And it's it, as soon as anybody is, is so sure of the truth and what they believe and, and they, and some people need that. They, they need kind of this, I black and white attitude about, about the truth and life of the Christian. And I, I've just, I've seen that as, as leading to, leading to a confidence that leads to pride yeah. and then destroys rather than a, a humility that is that is confident in who Jesus Christ is, but not confident in my perception of him enough to always be perceiving and learning rather than kind of resting in um, a, a assurance of myself and condemnation of others. Yeah. Yeah, so so that's that's where we find ourselves is, is being men who are trying to say, to just say we... We have fixed our lives on the doctrine of the church because it's the living reality of Christ expressed, yeah. again, conceptually, 
but really expressed yeah. and essential to the to the to the way that we understand and we live faith as, a, as an intellectual yeah. uh, thing, and it's and it's structured historically, which means that it changes. Okay, so why is it then that um, I think I told this story on a podcast a couple weeks ago? But I walk into Crested Butte. I'm, I'm going to have dinner with my. Did I tell the story already with you? Do you remember this guy, so. the Texan? No, Roger. Not to me. At okay, least. even heard yeah. this. Okay, so. It's, so, you know, sometimes we go to these people's houses for dinner and they kind of like to set up a dogfight. Yeah. Like, we'll bring the priest. Let's invite our our craziest friend. <laughs> so, and let's just see how this goes. Have a cockfight. And let's give him. Yeah. It's like cockfight. It's like, let's get him. He loves bourbon. Let's just, you yeah. know, let's just see where this goes. Well, thanks a lot. So, I caught wind of this coming. And so I walk in, and this is at uh, friends of mine in uh, Crested Butte. And I'm with my Aunt Marge and a bunch of other friends and wonderful people. But there's this guy, Roger, this big Texan, and he uh, comes up to me and he hands me this book and he says, I just wrote this book on why women should be priests and I want I gave you a copy. And I shook his hand and I said, nice to meet you. I look forward to reading it. And I said, I just wrote a 400-page dissertation on why Jesus didn't make Mary a priest. And <laughs> I want you to read it. <laughs> yeah, I want you to read it. And, and we just got to go quiet and I was like, oh, this should make for a very interesting dinner conversation, shouldn't it? Uh, so I have not read Roger's book. I read the first part of it. Um, not terribly convinced. I think that the question of women's ordination is in completely and utterly closed uh, by John Paul II. We can talk about how that happened, why that happened, um, and Newman's uh, seven notes for the development of doctrine would also apply to that and hmm. would say, sorry, nice. sorry, Raj, it ain't going to happen. Right. It's nice to hypothetically spin it out. And he's a, he, I, the problem is I really like these people sometimes, yeah. you know? Like, there, it was, I really enjoyed him. Um, but on this point, I was like... Nope, not going to happen. Uh, the church can't just recreate new ideas. The church doesn't have the authority to ordain right. women as priests. Right. So we have to we have to be more creative in terms of retrieving the tradition and understanding what is the distinctive dignity and role of women within the church. What is mm-hmm. their specific genius and mission? Yeah, I, and it's I, I love that. Just, yeah, that we need to be more creative. It, it's absolutely true. We, we, it's so easy to say. Women just need to be priests. It's much harder to say the church doesn't have that authority. So how do we give them the authority they deserve and the power they deserve within the within the guidelines of, of the body of Christ? Yep. Okay. So let me give you the seven seven notes, and then I'm going to spin on this a little bit uh, to kind of make it a little more interesting um, by saying I'm going to take some music, um, some bands here. Okay. We're going to apply them also to say has their music developed according uh, to Newman's, okay. and if not, why? We're going to. This is very. Uh, <laughs> kind of meta but um very companions my, it's very companions <laughs> but I, I really believe one of the golden eras of music happened between 2012 and 2014 um mumford and sons yep. uh, which seska um my my sister not your llama lachlan gave me yeah. for my diaconess that was like nine years oh, ago nice. so that was like 2010 but around 2010 2011 there's this explosion of great new music uh, Mumford and Sons, Head in the Heart, The Lumineers, Josh yeah. Girls, Bon Iver, Ben Howard, uh, Gregor and Isakoff, those are the seven that come to mind. Nice. Love them, still listen to them all the time. I'm stuck in 2012. Okay. <laughs> but something happened, and most of them went off the rails after mm-hmm. their second album. First album was like unbelievable. Yeah. But then, uh, uh, first album, unbelievable. Second album, kind of like, okay, good, some strokes of genius. But then, third album fell apart. Lord Huron also. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the question is, did their de- music develop organically, or did something happen where there was a break? You know, yeah. is there development between Mumford's first album and second album, but then something breaks on the third? And I would say that's pretty obvious for yeah, them. Yeah, right. So let's look at these. Uh, okay. 
these seven, and we can talk about if it, if it applies to any of these bands. So cool. this is very, very brief here. Uh, these seven notes are not exhaustive, um, but they are the best way to understanding authentic development. And by notes, we mean tests. So like you were talking about, the testing of innocence. This is the mm-hmm. testing of true development, or is it a corruption? Mm-hmm. And this is the way Newman, when he reflects on history, and when we reflect on doctrine, as it's always organically kind of growing and changing, uh, is, it, is it authentic? Number one, preservation of type. Preservation of type. So, is the external process, external appearance, is there, uh, is there a guarantee that it's the same substance, right? For me, Mumford number two to three did not pass. Yeah. Newman's note number one. It something was lost. It was the pre- the type the the Mumford Mumford thing, right? Yeah. Mumfordita would be the Italians. They always do that to make it a substantial thing. Like it, it wasn't there mm-hmm. uh, with whatever that third album, Wilder. What was it called? Wilder Mind when it came out in 2015. It was there in Babel, but then the last two, Wilder Mind and, and Delta, you're just like, no. Yeah. That's just my, my thought. Yeah. yeah I, I uh, The third and fourth albums of, of Mumford were acquired taste to me. I respected the first two enough that I that I just listened to the, the third and fourth over and over and over again. I do that with Dave Matthews all the time. Yeah. Like, I, I, I like that, that... Um, What's it? Uh, Samurai Cop is one of my new favorite songs in the world, Dave Matthews Band. But the first two times I listened to it, I was so annoyed. I was like, "That's just, it's just off. Something's off about it." Um, so I, I gave them benefit of the doubt, but it's still there's there's not the depth of the first two. I agree 100. percent But I, I still do see, especially with the lyrics. But I, I, I think I think Hollywood and music is always gonna be that way. Right. The first right. the first one or two of the heart, and the last two are for career. Yeah. You know, and I, that that seems to be the Mumford went. Yeah, interesting. I hate to say it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's number one. Preservation of type. Number two, continuity of principles. Mm-hmm. So principles underline doctrines. And the best the, the best test of heresy, what is this what does he say here? The better test of heresy than doctrine. So we know the doctrines by the principles that undergird them, mm-hmm. you know. Uh this one makes me think of uh, head and the heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, because and this is kind of very abstract and, and very undeveloped, but there's something about their music early on. That first album was just unbelievable, but it was cohesive in a way. Yeah. And it was almost like there was some principles that kind of draw, that governed it, you know. Um, and not to say that there's not new creative expressions, because there are some people listening to this saying, this is crap. Music, music doesn't have to develop. <laughs> there doesn't have to be any organic thing, yeah. you know. But for me, as a, as a listener, um, I'm like the third album of Head and the Heart is objectively worse hmm because there was no continuity hmm. of the principles that were kind of playing out, even in the second album. Um, yeah. So that's number two. I hate to say it too, but they're, they're, I, I hate to bring, make this so practical, but there is too something about the music industry where when people transitioned from having an album to having individual songs played on Spotify, oh, interesting. That, that there's there, I think almost every album lost to cohesiveness because the, the producers were, were aiming at a different type of, of, um, way of, of receiving, hearing music, and paying for it, and so I, again, this is too practical. I don't might be distracting from it, but I think you you see songs being shortened because the the number of plays matter for Spotify, uh, where it's not an album anymore. So th- there's interesting things like that, and I, I just really hope a band like Head in the Heart that I respect so much would not give into that reality. Yeah. But you never know who the producers are. You never know who's talking to them, and, and then saying, "Look, you're now in a career. You need to keep this up." You're, we're now paying you for albums, and you got to make it shorter songs and not as cohesive because it doesn't matter the album as much as individual songs. Right, and we're not sticking it to the musicians. 
We're sticking it to the producers. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I honestly think they're the they're the bad guys, right? <laughs> they're the ones who sued us, anyways. So. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's that's good. Uh, number three, power of assimilation. I know we said this would be thirty minutes this yeah. podcast, so I got to get moving here. Number, we're only on number three. Power of assimilation. Basically, I'll leave it at this. But Lord Huron was the one that comes to mind here. Basically, that uh, there's something that's living and. Uh, it's characteristic of authentic development to uh, live in accordance with that which is there prior. Mm. And again, it's just something went crazy. It's with attached. The, yeah. the, the first album that Lord Huron put out, it was like, this is amazing. This is absolutely unbelievable. But there was just something about the power of assimilation and the, the, the kind of the ability to kind of live out of that same font, but it just broke so radically. Mm. So, Number four, logical sequence. Boney Vare comes to mind here. Have you listened okay. to his new album? It just no, came out like three even, days ago. Didn't even start. Oh, I'm trying. I'm okay. trying, but it's so <laughs> fragmented. And because I feel like Boney Vare's third and fourth album, it's like this is the soundtrack of postmodernity blowing up, hmm. like self imploding. And and I kind of like it, but it kind of terrifies me at the same time. Okay. Versus that first album. So he says, logical sequence. Logic has a critical, not creative role in the development of doctrine and teaching. Our minds are seized by are seized by ideas, hmm. uh, not entirely logically worked out. That's a very important point. Our minds are seized by ideas, not entirely logically worked out. Many times, the church has teachings of which she is unconscious. Logic is not the means of Christian development. Yeah, right. We need awe. Yeah. Awe is so important in the life of the church. Awe and mystery. Yeah. Number five, anticipation of the future. I don't actually know what that means. Uh, number six, conservative action. We'll just leave those two. But number seven, <laughs> chronic vigor as a sign of authentic development. And mm-hmm. here I would turn not from bands who have broken and, and I think uh, corrupted, but one, one who has truly developed his sound, and that is Gregory Alan Isakoff, of course. <laughs> Are you ever going to say a bad thing about that man? No. No, I will <laughs> I didn't not. Think so. <laughs> chronic vigor. So... Uh, Newman talks about how um, true ideas that have developed authentically within the life of the tradition, they just, they, they're vigorous and they just kind of continue and they just have this health and this life. And there's something about Isaacoff's music. Now we're into four or five albums. Um, it continues to drive, but it's continuous. It feels like it's Isaacovian, yeah. right? And I think that, uh, um, as Newman says, heresies are short-lived. Bands that are not developed continuously, short-lived. Yeah. Uh, and there's something about when you live within that and you're actually developing something that's within you and not exteriorly doing what Spotify wants or what my producers yeah. want, um, you can feel that yeah. in somebody's music. I, I think, I, I didn't even know about Gregory Allen Isaac until I met, became a companion and, and met you and Andrea, but um, but there there's something about, I've probably had more of his shows than anybody else just because of my relationship with the companions and we go there to hang out, but there there's something about, it seems he truly does, and he emphasizes this during the shows. He truly does play music with his friends, yeah. And and I don't I don't think he cares. It doesn't seem like he cares about the career. He's not that big of a name, but it, but it's he's with the friends and he 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 brings new people into the mix. But it's it's he plays with people and writes with people that he loves, and he probably that he's just so happy. That's what it seems. I'm making this up, of course. I don't know him, but he seems so happy with with the life he has and the the way it's going. That why not just kind of produce music out of those relationships. Yeah, I mean, having met him several times and kind of creeped him out, probably most of them. <laughs> he, he, what strikes me of him is his humility, yeah, okay. which is a distinctively Christian virtue, yeah. which is very interesting. Yeah. Um, but he just, he's just very unassuming. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think that that's part of it is he doesn't take his music very, he doesn't take his mm-hmm. music too seriously. Yeah, because he's actually into sustainable agriculture. That's his yeah. passion. And when I saw him last night or two nights ago, that's what he was talking about. He's talking mm-hmm. about you know what he's growing this summer and you know um, where the fennel and all these things are are you know going for some kind of you know expensive uh, restaurant in Denver mm-hmm. or something. And I, I think that's that's the key thing is that there's always pride connected with the false development of doctrine. I know better than the church. I know better than the tradition. I know better than history. I know what Christianity really should look like. And this is deeply embodied in the individualism of the Protestant Reformation. And yeah. as Catholics, we cannot we cannot pick up that mentality. Right? We have to live from something deeper. Again, the right context for development is friendship, like you said. Mm-hmm. It's communion. And so there's the band expresses something on a natural level that's supernaturally the deepest heart of the church, which is that the, the integrity of the development happens because of the communion yeah. and the charity that and the fire that unites that the heart of the church, yeah. which is why Mary is the fundamental theologian in the church, right? Because yeah. she ponders all things in her heart without actually explicating them. Yeah. It's interesting. One of my favorite bands growing up was Social Distortion, and that band just completely fell apart. And so that they still they're still called social tours, they're still touring, but it's like the lead singer is the only one left. And and it's it's amazing if you follow their discography, how much it goes from like an authentic friendship to just one guy's reflections on life. And it, it's tragic, yeah. really, to see. I mean, it, it's it's beautiful in his reflections on just a personal reflections, but it's no longer about a, a group of guys kind of sharing a life. I'm maybe being too self reflective here, but it's, it's it's about a guy going it alone and you know and just having to. You know, reflecting upon old age and things like that that come kind of come about, um, but it, it it does. There is a definite break I noticed with that with them too. Social D. So, well, there you go. Thanks All for right. hanging on that one. It's yeah, kind of a wild absolutely. ride. Absolutely, I love it. We better wrap it up here. Do you got any shout outs before we go? Um, I uh, I think that if we put this one out this week, um, just a shout out to my parish, Holy Protection. Um, my Wednesday night crew, uh, Crystal, Perla, Sarah. Uh, the two Karens, um, Marie, um, all those who I know listen every once in a while. They're not that that that's faithful, but um, shout out to you guys for uh, Maria Wednesday Night Crew from the Holy Protection. So that'll be my shout out for the week. Very nice. Uh, nothing better than meeting pod banter lovers at a rehearsal dinner, right? Yeah. And so uh, <laughs> nice. Meg Lyons, my sweet uh, spiritual daughter, got mm-hmm. married uh, last week, two weeks ago, to Mike Nimizic. From New Hampshire, and I love meeting his family. So his mom, Monique, nice. uh, podcast listener, banter lover, uh, Mike's sister, Lynn, listened. Um, Evan Olson comes to mind. Uh, they had a family friend named Marie who I met and her son, Nate Thibodeau, um, podcast listener. Shout out to all of you guys, wonderful people in uh, uh, Boston and uh, New Hampshire area. Just fantastic uh, and one of the most beautiful weddings uh, that I've been privileged to celebrate. So nice. it's great to be together with them and uh, they're, they're on their honeymoon in Crete, I think, right now. Oh, wow. So hopefully getting me an icon of St. Joseph. But Great spot for honeymoon. Yeah. So uh, shout out to them. Happy uh, happy wedding and uh, marriage to them, a long life together. God bless them many years. Amen. Many, many years. Alright, all. Thanks for That's listening. That's it. You're all finished there? You're yeah, I'm done. Okay. I'm, uh, we'll save it for the next one. Yeah. Okay, Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.